We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. This podcast episode is brought to you by Coors Light. These days, everything is go, go, go. It's nonstop hustle all the time. Work, friends, family expect you to be on 24-7. Well, sometimes you just need to reach for a Coors Light because it's made to chill. Coors Light is cold lagered, cold filtered, and cold packaged. It's as crisp and refreshing as the Colorado Rockies. It is literally made to chill. Coors Light is the one I choose when I need to unwind. So when you want to hit reset, reach for the beer that's made to chill. Get Coors Light in the new look delivered straight to your door with Drizzly or Instacart. Celebrate responsibly. Coors Brewing Company, Golden, Colorado. Don't let impaired driving ruin your holiday. Always have a plan for a sober ride. D.C. police are arresting drunk and drug drivers. Drive sober or get pulled over. Message from the District Department of Transportation and Metropolitan Police Department. Welcome to Rams Talk Radio. This is Derek C. Apollo alongside Tommy Avance for our midweek show. Well, it is preseason week one. Raiders, Rams, it's time to party if you're in the party and mood. And also later on at the end of the show, we'll have Still See Underground's Joe Kuzma to finally, oh my gosh, finally finish the tour around the league. Tommy, how you doing, man? I'm good, man. I've just been so scatterbrain right that i forgot we have a football game this saturday you sure do that's crazy right about time right about damn time yes about sir. time <laughs> about time and quite frankly folks well, i know we here we need it um 
we live and breathe off the sport, especially when things are personal. So I need to be up front right now that I can tell you as as hard as I try tonight on the show, I'm not going to be myself. Um, we got word about 20 minutes before you came on the air tonight that our boy Dom, you know, the guy we've been running the fundraiser for, is in the ER, passed out. They, they're having a hard time getting much out of him right now. It's not looking good. So... Um, but we're still going to be on the air because, one, that gives us an opportunity to ask you to, you know, if you're the praying kind of person, to do so for him. And we do have that fundraiser out there if you feel inclined to, to help as well. It's there. It's on my it's on my Twitter, and it's, it's on the Rams Talk Twitter as well. So, yeah, I'm going to hold together. Uh, Tommy knows I was talking before the show, and uh, uh, Dom and I have grown pretty close over the last few months, especially as he had been working on our site, and it's... Well, guys, I'm sorry I'm just not me tonight, okay? We'll do the best we can and have a football conversation. I do want to remind you that our episode tonight is sponsored by Jim Hawk and his book, his book Hollywood's Team. We also remind you that all of our podcasts are found pretty much anywhere you can find a podcast. If it's Apple Music, Spotify, SoundCloud, Spreaker, you'll find our podcast listed also. And making the announcement here with the Big Heads Podcast Network. We are still getting hooked up in there, but we've made the agreement we are going to be partnering with them to be a part of their team. We still, just so you know, still have all the editorial control over all of our stuff. We still have the ability to pretty much say and do whatever we want. One of the Rams and Center guys will guarantee you that. And, um, it's a way to help us get the word out there. And, of course, being part of their network is good for them because, hey, they get one of the best producers of Rams content on the Internet you're going to find. I really believe that. You I, you believe that, Tommy? I believe that. Absolutely. So one more thing about everything related with that, just to kind of throw it out there. We are running a couple contests. The first contest for you right now is we are trying to get 200 five-star reviews in iTunes, Apple Music. So if you could head on over there. And if you haven't already, subscribe and leave a review. If you send us a screenshot of your review, either by DM or by email at ramstop1945gmail.com or even, geez, what a Facebook message. That's, that's fine, too. Heck, that's fine with me. And um, we'll enter you in. If you leave a written one, we'll read it on the air. We'll read it on the air. And all the other contest is our sponsor, Jim Hawk, is allowing us to give away tickets to the Rams Broncos preseason game this will end on the 13th i had been saying just retweet the top tweet on the rams talk board to enter but we've been having to tweet a whole bunch more today especially with what happened with dom so just if you could retweet our apple music listing again uh, retweet our apple music listing and that will enter you in to the contest so there you go. The contest will end on August 13th, and we'll get those tickets mailed out to you, courtesy of Jim Hawk. All right. All that is there. It's in front of you. We, I think I covered everything. Oh, yeah. Jeez. I told you. I'm a, um, who's with the scatterbrain here, Tommy? You or me? Seriously. I'm going to say you, bud. <laughs> uh, don't forget other shows. I mentioned Rams and Censored earlier. They're on Fridays. I've been getting some really nice feedback on them. Of course, Steve and John with Butting Heads, and of course, here we are. So don't forget other shows in the network. Okay, so let's get into it, guys. Preseason week one, starters aren't playing, at least on offense. For the most part, the skill players aren't playing. That doesn't mean there aren't things that are important here. There are several things that we need to see this weekend, and what we really want to do to prepare you for this game is kind of gear towards what to look for, what to watch out for. And Tommy... 
you and I, you've been part of our position by position preview. You just mentioned it a few minutes ago. You're getting pumped for this. What's one thing right away that comes to your mind of things fans need to look for for this game? I want to take a look at the running back depth chart. Obviously, Todd Gurley will probably not even take a snap in preseason. We all know how Sean McVay likes to run his tight ship and protect his players, which I agree with. There's no skin in the game to get superstars hurt and throw your season in the garbage. So what I would like to see is the running back position. Um, at camp, I went to camp multiple times uh, throughout the summer, and, man, Malcolm Brown looks so good. Like, he's back, he's healthy, he looks great. That depth chart is tough, and I think, you know, guys like John Kelly have a real uphill battle, and it's not talent. It's getting in the playbook, understanding the pass protections, and memorizing all that. That's, I think, where... A lot of these athletes struggle. They spend a lot of their life through Pop Warner and high school football, you know, getting by on their physical ability and even in college. And then once you get to the NFL, you go from, you know, 7,000 plus players in the country to the best 1,500. It's a big difference. And it's all about understanding the game mentally. And I think these guys struggle a lot with that. John being one of them, and that's why he didn't suit up a lot last year. And which is unfortunate because I'm a big fan of his. So I'd like to see him step it up. And who's who's not going to make the team as far as the running back is concerned? I would say it's between John Kelly and Justin Davis because of the depth chart and the talent, not because they're not good. Does that make sense? The running back position is pretty deep. For all the folks who are worried about what happens if Todd Gurley goes down, I think I'm actually pretty comfortable, comfortable at that position. There are other positions I'd be much more concerned with, like defensive line. Knocking on wood, heaven forbid, all those words. What happens to that defensive line without Aaron Donald, for example? Don't you ever say that again. That's why why I put the precursor of knock on wood, heaven forbid. Okay, I mean, I, I am not worried about the running back position at all. I'm actually fine with it. Not happy with it. Let me make sure I can deal with it. I can live with it if something were to happen to Todd. Because I've long believed Malcolm Brown could be a starter in the league. I'm very happy with what we've seen out of Daryl Henderson so far. So running back death, I think you're right. I want, But I want to know exactly what these guys can do. And I want to know what these young guys can do in terms of picking up blocks. I think it's a great point. On my end as well... On the offense, I want to see progress within the interior line. We keep coming back to that. If that interior line does not do well, we're going to see a Rams team in a lot of trouble. Good words today out of the relationship between Brian Allen and Jared Goff actually coming from the press conference today. Sean McVay specifically talked about his impression of Brian Allen. I I just want to read this quote to you. It says, he's doing really well. I think he and Jared, that rapport that exists between the quarterback and the center is so vital for the success of an offensive unit, whether it be the cadence, whether it be some of the calls in the run game, the protections. I think those two really showed a huge amount of growth together, and we've got some different looks and different than you're going to going to in into a normal game week. You're not game planning. So a lot of the times you're following normal base rules, and you're really utilizing those tools. I thought today... With some of the blitz period, some different things that we saw, I thought Brian and Jared both did an outstanding job of their communication, and then all 11 players, quoted, um, being on the same page. And that's coming off the heels of what, we, uh, what we're finding out was an outstanding performance by Jared Goff in the scrimmage today against the Raiders. So if that stands up, 
Tommy, I think, will be all right in that interior line. Yeah, I'm not worried about it. Uh, at practice, I think it was on Saturday, against the Chargers in Irvine. Jared Goff threw a touchdown to long touchdown to Robert Woods, avoiding uh, Melvin Ingram because he busted right through the middle of the line where the new guys were playing. And a lot of fans were on Twitter having a panic attack. And I'm like, guys, it's Melvin Ingram. Okay? Calm down. Like, it's going to happen. He's Melvin Ingram, dude. You know? Relax, man. Like, don't... The sky isn't falling after one guy gets through your line on one play. Calm down, man. Still is a concern. Right. I mean, you have two young guys in there. Melvin Ingram... It's a concern, but did you see the play? Did you oh, yeah. see what I mean, Jared I'm, Goff listen, did? I'm, I'm not arguing with you, man. I'm not debating you. He slid you. and watch any quarter... Look, guys are going to get through. People are going to blitz. People are going to stunt. It's going to happen. How the quarterback handles the rush is more important than the guy stopping the rush. You could be like Sam Bradford and just humble every time the rush comes to you and fall to the ground. That's what he used to do. That's not what we're looking for. We're looking guys like for guys to slide around in the pocket, not be afraid to get hit, not worry about it. And Jared Goff is getting so much better at that. And last year he struggled with it. So the improvement is there. His ability to not worry about the rush and slide around the way he needs to, I'm seeing the improvement already in camp, and I'm ready to see it week one against Carolina because that's a really good defense. So we're really going to see, you know, what he's made of right off the bat. That was the big complaint at the end of the year last year in his toughest moments. He struggled in those pressure situations. So that's probably the next piece of evolution that we've been looking for from Jared Goff. So the news we're seeing out of camp thus far is very good. But to me, it still comes back to trying to keep him off his back to begin with, to keep him out of danger. So going back to Brian Allen and Joe Noteboom and Awesome Blythe, I'm excited to hear that they are protecting better and better up front, especially when it comes to Brian Allen. That's your, that's kind of your captain on the line, and um, I'm I'm cool with that. What about defensively? What are you looking for for defense? I mean, I'd like to see Taylor Rapp play. You know, he's going to get his opportunity in the preseason. During the regular season, he's going to be in sub-packages, big nickel, um, special teams. He's not going to start because Eric Weddle is. That's obvious. But I'd like to see him get some reps in the preseason and see what he can do. I've watched him in camp up close and personal, and boy, does he look like a superstar. The fact that he fell, you know, we could have taken him at 31, and they kept rolling the dice and rolling the dice going down 30 picks to 61. How did he not get taken within those 30 picks? Blows my mind. That the guy I wanted at 31, I got at 61. That's impressive, man. What, I think, what, did people, what did people not see with him that he fell that far? Was there just not a huge need for starting safeties in the league? Or I, I don't get it, man, because he's fantastic. I think there was some concern about his coverage skill that he'd be more of an in-the-box kind of guy. But what we're hearing thus far is he's, he's going to be just fine out there. Mm-hmm. And I, I'm thinking also that he's one of those guys that just kind of slipped the cracks. And there weren't a whole lot of people watching the Pac-12 compared to recent years. It's been a down conference of late. And most people are watching the SEC with a little bit of the Big 12 and Big 10. And I think in some of those cases, you're going to get these guys go under the radar because they're they're not going up against some of the competition that we're used to seeing on the Pac-12. Now that's just a theory. I mean, I could be totally wrong on that, but I think I'm right. Yeah, I can disagree with that. You said you can or can't. 
I cannot. Okay, okay, because <laughs> it's okay if you do. You know, no, I, I don't. I agree. I mean, it just uh, looking at terms of the, the entire focus is on is really on the SEC and the ACC of late. I think it's easy in those cases to fly on the radar. I'm looking forward to seeing him. Uh, but for on my end, especially after Johnny was at camp on Saturday and really had a chance to watch how the front seven struggled against teams coming in the middle of the field. I'm really wanting to see some improvement in that middle. I want to see how the middle linebackers adjust. I want to see how the the defensive linemen are able to close the polls and then find their assignments. I'm very interested in what goes on between the hash marks there in that middle of the field to see what kind of improvement is there. Who is going to be, who will be the guys at middle linebacker to take charge of that defense and stop the run? Yeah, Micah Kaiser's been my guy since we drafted him um, last year. I like him a lot. So I'm going to ride with him, man, and he's getting the opportunity to start. So let's see what he can do. Um, I'm a big fan, and you you see him out there on the field, and he looks the part, man. Well, you were there, what, on Sunday, right? Yeah, they just did a walkthrough on Sunday, which we weren't expecting. I think a lot of the fans were disappointed. They they weren't wearing helmets or shoulder pads or anything, and it was just a walkthrough. And Mark came all the way back from – Arizona again he just they decided they wanted to come back and a week later after driving all the way out here and they came back and it was a walkthrough I felt kind of bad but I did I was able to get everybody his whole family the VIP treatment and go inside the hospitality tents and get free food and drinks and sit in the shade and and hang out at our own table so that was a cool experience for them and Anthony was able to go straight to the fence and get you know autographs inside the tent without everyone jumping all over his back and the players when they come up to the hospitality tents they have more of a you know they can get more up close and personal with the people because there's not a ton of them so like johnny hecker spent maybe a good two to three minutes with us just talking to anthony and taking pictures signing autographs anthony gave him a uncensored shirt so that was cool he loved it (laughs) but yeah we had a great time um but yeah, it was a walkthrough, so it was a, it was a little disappointing. If I would have known that it was going to be a walkthrough, I would have went Saturday. Um, but it is what it is. Well, I tried to get you to go Saturday. I know, but I didn't want to go two days in a row. I'm lazy. <laughs> <laughs> Plus, I mean, but- I, been, I went both. You know, I went a lot. I went Monday. I went the following or previous Saturday, and I just wanted to spend one of the weekend days with my son and my wife. So I picked Saturday. I wish I would have switched it and picked Sunday instead. Well, one of the things that Johnny noted when he went out there and, he, and um, the Rams treated him very well. And so thank you to the Rams for that. Micah did not start for much of that for much of that practice. And so he no, was it, was, it was Bryce. It was Bryce. So was they're, Bryce rotating every, yeah. Yeah, they're, they're rotating every day. So one day Micah will start, the next day Bryce will start. That's how they're working it all through so camp. That's kind of what we're wondering, though. So Bryce might start to, um, on Saturday, and Micah might start. We don't know yet. Here's my feeling, though, on that. Okay, Bryce has been, this is his fifth year. All right, I mean, mm-hmm. if you're going to establish yourself as a middle linebacker in this league, you better have done it by your fifth year. So I don't really put too much stock in Bryce Hager starting the middle of the field. I'm, I'm wondering, you know, are they going to just kind of rotate these guys and see who takes over, or are they just playing a little bit of poke with everybody? Yeah, I mean, if you want, I don't know, a lot of people don't know who Bryce Hager is. I pay a lot of attention to him. In preseason uh, last year, we were at one of the games, and my friend's son was like, man, who's number 54? That guy's killing people out there. And it was Bryce Hager. 
He's, I mean, when he gets his opportunities, he makes the most of them. That's why he plays on special teams because he's a good football player. Um, he just had to sit behind guys like Mark Barron and and whatnot. Um, is he a starting linebacker in the NFL? No, or he would be. But is he a bad player? Absolutely not. He's very valuable. He's great at understanding coverages and, and knowing the playbook, um, and he's great at stopping the run. He's just not a fast guy, so he ain't covering nobody, you know. Well, that would be the main concern at this point in the league. Even at middle linebacker, you have to be able to cover somebody at least a little bit. And that was actually was the knock on Micah Kaiser when, he's like, when he got drafted. His his pass coverage was eh, but he's going to be a run-stopping fool. So I, I think that's actually what I want to see out of him in the preseason game is what kind of coverage will he provide to be able to do the job and hopefully win a starting job long-term. And again, going back into the middle of the field, when Aaron Donald's not on the field, or even when he is on the field, what kind of support will be there with an interior pass rush? Jeez, even a whole pass rush. Let's just space it all out to the front seven. The entire pass rush or the ability to stuff the run. Those are the things I'm really looking for. I want to see how these guys are, how effective they are in position battles. I'm, I'm concerned, especially in that front seven. Yeah, well, I mean, if you watch our defense last year, the, it seems like the defenders were racing to the quarterback to see him get there first, and that's where the run game was gashing us. People need to stay in their gaps, and we need guys out there that are willing to do that, that are not chasing the stats, right? So I have a feeling guys like Greg Gaines and, and Joseph are going to get out there and handle that. I think we'll be all right. All right, so is there anything else you were really looking for for this game coming up? Anything else? Um I'd like to see how they, and you know, because I want them to practice this now to prepare for the regular season. But knowing or trying your best to know when your opponent on offense is either going to, you know, run or pass the ball, because like you said, we're worried about these linebackers and coverage because basically we've been playing safeties at linebacker for years, and now we're we only have one, Corey Littleton, former safety. And now we're going to have a traditional linebacker at the other position. So knowing when to take guys like Micah Kaiser out and put in Taylor Rapp, um, that's going to be interesting to see how the coaches handle that. Because basically you're just going from traditional to big nickel, right? Just take out the linebacker, put in the safety, not a big deal. Which reminds me of that conversation. (laughs) Did you see that video recently where Brett Favre was at the podium? I don't know what he was doing or why he was there, but he was giving this speech, and he was talking about when he played, he didn't know what a nickel defense was. <laughs> he asked another, I think Ty Detmer or somebody in the court, hey, what's a nickel defense? <laughs> Everybody oh looked at him gosh. like he was crazy. And he's because, <laughs> dude, Brett Favre was, when they call him a gunslinger, that's what he was. He didn't pay attention to any of that stuff, right? That's why he was the way he was, and that's why he threw so many picks, right? Because he just didn't – he wasn't interested in all that. He just went out there and played. And so when, when they told him, oh, they, oh, Brett, they just take out a linebacker and put in a safety. And he's like, that's it? <laughs> and he's like, yeah, that's it. And he's like and, – and, and this is a little bit of a colorful language here, but he said, well, I don't give a shit. That was his response. <laughs> I don't care about that noise. He didn't care. He's like, see, I knew it didn't matter. I'm still going to sling the ball to the open guy. You know, like he didn't care. It was so you know, funny. 
funny story, funny story. Um, when I was when I was freelancing and contributing to Yahoo Sports years ago, there are two articles that I wrote that I got torn apart on. I mean, seriously torn apart on. One was an article talking about the top the top five Rams running backs in team history. And in that article, I I was thinking about Steven Jackson, the basketball player, and I spelled Steven Jackson's name wrong. I can't believe it got out there. I was so embarrassed. That's like the biggest rule you don't break in writing is misspelling someone's name. I was so embarrassed. The second one I got beat up on, and this one I stand by to this day, is I wrote an article calling Brett Favre one of the I think top five most, I try to remember the exact, I basically call him overrated. I called him overrated. And the argument I used was, yes, he threw for a lot of yards. He won a Super Bowl. He threw for a ton of touchdowns. He was fun to watch, exciting to watch. But especially as his, year, his career wore on, he threw more and more interceptions and made more and more mistakes in critical situations than you would ever expect from an all-time great. And I used well, the Rams game from the 2001 playoffs as an example. Remember that game? 45-17 through six interceptions against the Rams? Yeah, I, I remember it vividly. I watched it with my friend mm-hmm. that I grew up who's a Packers fan. And just, he, you know, you know how Packer fans are. They're collar poppers, man. They just think they're so special. And <laughs> he's so delusional as a fan. It's unreal. He never played growing up. We've known each other since we were little kids. He played baseball. I played football all the time. But he thinks he knows like everything about football, which is hilarious. And he's like, I'm like, do you actually think you have a chance to win this game today? And he's like, oh, man, you guys are going down. And I was like, see, that's why I can't respect you. Because you're just delusional fanboy. You guys are going to get smoked today. And I'm not being a Rams fan. I'm just analyzing what's going to go down i always can take myself out of being a rams fan and talk realistically about the sport in general right i can uh, is jimmy garoppolo a good quarterback absolutely can he stay healthy absolutely not so it doesn't matter how good he is he can't play 16 games he might never play 16 games those types of conversations i have all the time i'm not going to rip him because he plays for the niners no he's great he just can't stay healthy. He's gingerbread, right? Um, We're used to that. Yeah, and, and when I was watching, you know, getting ready to watch that game with my friend, I was just like, and he's still that way to this day. It's unreal. So I just can't deal sometimes. But, yeah, it was embarrassing. I was laughing the whole time. He was so mad. I mean, I'll still argue to this day that I believe as much as, I, as I, I'll argue that Brett Favre was a Hall of Fame quarterback, and I believe he was. I believe he was put on a pedestal that was beyond his actual accomplishments on the field. And again, I point at the critical moments, the interceptions, the games that were big, big games, and he just kind of blew them away because he was a gunslinger. And that's the great thing about being a gunslinger is you'll win some games, you'll win some, and they'll be exciting, and there'll be there'll be throws that that blow you away, but then there'll be mistakes that will haunt you the rest of your life. Well, yeah, think about it. We talked about this earlier. I said, you know, if you're not willing to do the dirt, you're only going to be so good. Imagine if Brett Favre actually cared about being great, right? Because I don't think he did. You 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 hear him talk. The way he was, he didn't want to dive into the game like you would if you were learning how to play chess. He just wasn't interested. He played in the NFL like he did on the street with the boys when we were kids. And that's fine. But 
it only got him so far. How many Super Bowls do you think he would have won if he actually put his best foot forward? Oh, geez. The, some of those great Packers teams. Well, they, I tell you what, they went back-to-back. They beat the Broncos in Super Bowl 32. I believe they probably win another one at some point between then and when he leaves the Packers. And maybe he wins that year. He takes the Vikings to the Anderson Championship game. I think he had every opportunity that year to get that done. But, again, he's Brett Favre, and he's only going to do as much as he wants to do. I'm not going to criticize him for that. I mean, that was your style of play. I'm just saying there's a cost for playing with that kind of style, and that's why, to me, he's a, a bit overrated for his career because I know he could have been much more than he was. Yeah, I mean, imagine if guys like Tom Brady didn't work as hard as he does in the film room and learning from Bill Belichick and all that. He would stink. He's not even an athlete, dude. I mean, have you ever seen his 40 <laughs> video? I mean, come on, dude. My little sister could have ran faster backwards. Looked like he was going to trip and fall the whole time. Dude is not an athlete. So what does he do? He takes everything that he doesn't have, right? And he gets in there and works, works, works. I wasn't the fastest guy on the field when I played. I ran a 4-7, and I was proud of that, right? But guys are running four threes out there when I'm on defense, so what did I do? I do what guys like Eric Weddle do. Very similar type of safety, how I played. Not the fastest guy in the field, but when you get cerebral and you're in the right place at the right time, it doesn't really matter, right? No, it doesn't matter at all. It really doesn't. Sometimes it really is a question of using your brain more than the brawn. The brawn matters. The athleticism matters. The, the, the raw talent matters. But... It's that brain that will keep you in the league a long time. When your body mm-hmm. starts to falter, I mean, come on, let's be honest. Is Tom Brady able to throw the ball as far as he used to? No. No. I mean, we saw that in the Super Bowl. We did. Yeah, he was, he was getting, I mean, a lot of people want to hammer the Rams about the Super Bowl. <laughs> Go back and watch it. The Patriots' offense was garbage. They did nothing the whole game. They had to get out their secret playbook. To score one touchdown. Okay? Where's the credit for that? Tom Brady was getting killed. Aaron Donald was slinging him all over the place, man. It was brutal. I was loving it. That that was my favorite part of the game. Everyone's like, we we need to score. I was like, this 3-3 is the greatest thing I've ever watched in my life. You guys are crazy. I'm a defensive guy, though, so I was like, I don't care about touchdowns, man. These guys are bombing on each other. But I would have loved to have seen our offense go out there and, and make a few plays. I'm looking at that defense performance, though, even if we're going back to Tom Brady for a moment. And he, even though he didn't have the same physical tools he had, he had no, 10 years ago, he stayed still able to dissect the Rams' defense enough to control the ball for much of the game and keep that Rams' offense from really finding any kind of rhythm. If, if you know, I think it was I, you may have been on the show with me. You and I we were both on the same show. I forget who show it was, but some guys, a Patriots guy, said they're they're going to kill us, kill the Rams by death by paper cuts. Oh yeah, and they were right. Yeah, they were just dinking and dunking and running, and yeah, it was it was wasn't impressive to watch on either side. It wasn't fun. I mean, it's not fun to watch, but it's effective enough. I mean, that's for sure. Yeah, it was. And I mean, I thought for sure after halftime, the Rams are going to come out, you know, with a different offense and an adjustment. And they kept running the same plays. I'm like, oh, we're done. Shut it down. Shut it down. <laughs> and, and I, I bet wor- you. I, oh, my goodness. I had the worst. 
and I, you know, obviously I waited till after the game and the weeks. But as soon as I knew we were going to play the Patriots, I was like, ah, we ain't winning this game. Just the Patriots, dude. You know what I mean? So I didn't feel that way. I felt like I felt like the Patriots on paper were not the better team. I felt like not even sh- close. Not even close. Sean McVay was going to learn the lessons of previous teams that had given them some problems. And man, as much as I love to watch Sean McVay coach, if there was ever a game that he and I've said it before, it's not meant to be offensive, where he quote-unquote, wet the bed. That was it. He just didn't make the adjustments, and he'll tell you that. He's talked about it since, and I can't help but wonder how many nightmares that poor guy had in the three to four months following that game and looking back and at, at realizing where this team made mistakes. And that's actually why I think there, there's a good chance if if people stay healthy and the interior line is fine, that this team may actually want to be better than last year's team because I, th- I think good chess players, and I've, you and I have talked about the chess game, Good chess players always learn from the mistakes. Of course. Improve and adapt. And I think there's a really good chance we see it this year. Now, no, injuries. I believe, I believe we will because the two guys that are at the front of the line, Sean McVay and Jared Goff, they want to be Tom Brady and Bill Belichick. That's who they want to be, and rightfully so. I think everybody wants that, right? Continued success over multiple decades. Who wouldn't want that? So how do you achieve that? By growth. Okay, how do you grow? What I want to see from Jared Goff this year is to challenge his coach. Why didn't he challenge him in the Super Bowl? You can't be a yes man and be a leader. That's not how life works. There's sheep and there's lions. You can't be a quarterback and be a sheep and be like, yes, sir, I'll run whatever play you call, sir. I'll have another shit sandwich. Okay, you have to call your you have to call your coach out and be like, dude. This ain't working. What else you got? Or I'm going to call an audible at the line for what I'm seeing. Guys like Peyton Manning and, and so on and so forth. Those are the guys, you know, and you, I've seen Tom Brady screaming at Bill and Josh over the years and, and other OCs on the sideline throwing stuff because he's challenging his coaches. I want to see more fire out of Jared as far as command and control of the offense. And I want to see Sean make adjustments on the fly that's it if those two things can be accomplished i dare you every week to line up against the rams you are gonna get smoked if we are healthy and i think we'll see that i mean barring the unseen like we've seen injuries derail a season we've seen freak things derail a season Uh, you know those are the things to me that will derail the rams i think the improvement of other teams is a factor as well but even just judging from today's joint practice with the, Ra- with the Raiders, I think Goff was making plays off the cuff, going outside, quote-unquote, the system. And if he can do that and can continue to do that, and that's just going to show development as a quarterback, as a leader, then the sky's the limit for him. I agree. we just got to evolve each year, find a way to get better, and a lot of it, is getting better mentally. All right, so there you go, folks. So that that conversation started with the training camp view, a preseason game one view, and it evolved in forty five thousand different directions. And sometimes those make the best sports conversations. So there you go. Moving on, though, we do want to talk about our sponsor. He's been great to us. He's he wrote a great book on the on his dad and the history of the Rams. It's Hollywood Teen Great Glamour in the nineteen fifties Los Angeles Rams by Jim Hawk. This book. 
tells the story of the 1950s Rams lens of Jim's dad, John, who was an offensive lineman for the team from 1953 to 1957. Check out some stories of his father and the team he played for in an era of glitz, glamour, and future Hall of Famers. We're talking about players like Norman Van Brocklin, Elroy, Crazy Hurst, Tom Fears, and Les Richter, all in the story spin the 1950s Los Angeles Rams. You can find Hawks book online at hollywoodsteam.com and on Twitter at hollywoodsteam. It's available both in hardback and electronic form at Amazon and Barnes and & Noble. And you can also find Hollywoodsteam through various other booksellers on the internet. Oh, yeah. And one more thing. The paperback. September 6th it comes out. So if you like a good paperback, go get it. It's out then. All proceeds go to Homeboy Industries, which is an organization that works to pull people out of the gang life and give them all the tools they need to succeed in society again. It's a great, great organization. It's a great cause. And quite frankly, as I've gotten to know Jim a little bit over the last couple of years, I'm quite proud that... Um, and, and honestly touched that he makes the effort to do something like this. He takes no money from these books, folks. So go read a great read, and it goes to a great place. Check it out. It's Hollywood Scene Great Glamour in the 1950s Los Angeles Rams by Jim Hawk, and it's well worth your time. All right, so the Pittsburgh Steelers, our final tour in the league visit. We sat down with Joe Kuzma from the Steel City Underground, and here is his look at the Pittsburgh Steelers, a opponent for the Rams coming this November. Check it out. All right, folks, I am here for a return visit with Joe Kuzma from Steel City Underground on our tour in the league to talk about the Pittsburgh Steelers. They've had an interesting offseason. I have lots of questions for them, but first things first, Joe, how you doing? Oh, I'm not doing uh, too bad over here. How are you? Doing well. It's a little bit different this time from last year. Last time we were actually in the same city doing a podcast. Now you packed up and moved, and I feel abandoned here in Youngstown. Ah, uh, you know that's that's Youngstown. So what else can you say? <laughs> you just... <laughs> but <laughs> yeah, I mean, you know, there's a lot of transplants. You know, we're going to talk about the Steelers too, and it's amazing. Like, uh, you know, they talk about how Steelers fans travel and whatever, but there's a lot of transplants from like Pittsburgh, Western Pennsylvania, and even you know Northeast Ohio. You know, my my hometown, your hometown, in Youngstown. It's you know people. It seems like there's people that relate to that area or know of those areas. No matter where you go in the country it's it's almost bizarre it's almost like freaky it's a weird area too because you grow up in youngstown you're always saying i want to get out i I gotta get out here now and then eventually when you get out there's at some point usually something that calls you home at some point it took me 20 years to come Uh home and i'm sure at some point along the line you'll at least feel a call home because that's where you're from. It's just a weird place to be. And like you said before we started, it's still a sinking ship. You've lost Lordstown. You've lost the entire steel industry. But there's still something about it that calls you home once in a while. And there you go. Yeah, I'm still back and forth quite a bit. You know, I used to defend uh, my hometown quite a bit. But, uh, you know, there's there's only so much. I mean, it's, <laughs> it's, it's, it's sad. I mean, it's, you know, it's, you know, not to get too off topic for football. It's kind of, I think anybody that's in a Rust Belt, uh, former major industrial type area, I say you could take your finger and just take a, like a little swoop, almost like a banana shape from Detroit through Buffalo. And if you're anywhere like uh, so many miles off that line, I think a lot of people can relate uh, going through a lot 
lot of the same changes. With with that said, some cities have rebounded or or they've they've rebounded and rebounded again. It just all depends, you know what I mean? So, oh, sure. but yeah, I mean it's it's home and family's still there, and you know um, I, I, I've been back and forth quite a bit still too because it's just it's been hectic. It should make for an interesting football season and covering the Steelers for me since I still have a house for sale <laughs> that I'm yeah. still you know every so often uh, back and forth maintaining things and man it's just it's been crazy and uh, I mean you mentioned crazy off season so I'm sure you have some questions even though I don't think it's as crazy I, I, I have my own reasons for thinking it's not as crazy as some other people may may believe well before I ask the question folks if you are listening up there on the west coast hey you're not alone though in terms of we talk about the, ru- the rust belt and some of the issues out there I know the west coast California has their own issues so we all know it feels like we displaced one way or the other we all have seen our towns change so don't let our Rust Belt conversation push you away. So, Joe, let's just get right to it, though, in terms of the actual Steelers. What on earth happened last season? They looked great at some point, then they kind of fell apart at the end. They were viewed as a Super Bowl contender, and then missed the playoffs. So what went wrong? Uh, you know what? I really don't know. I mean, they won like six games in a row. Um, you know, they started the season a little rocky, and I think that's always something that happens. I I always i don't even tease or joke about this anymore but there's even bill belichick has been quoted as saying you know september is the new preseason those first few weeks of football uh, it's because all these star players kind of set out the preseason now so if you have a lot of star players you don't have a lot of rookies that need preseason or exhibition time uh, things aren't necessarily gelling in some cases you see it all the time people are talking about the demise of the patriots you know two three weeks into the season and how's that always turn out you know what i mean uh, steelers is kind of the same way i mean it, they started off last year they had a tie against cleveland and everybody's like oh my goodness you know well it was sloppy weather they're playing on the road uh and, and all bets are off when it's like pouring down rain and you know they play on a grass surface up in cleveland and, and of course, I was giving the Browns some, you know, kind of credit going into the season that they'd be more competitive in 2018 than what they'd previously been. You know, you're looking at a team that won like one in 32 games uh, the previous two years. And I, I think that took people who weren't paying attention by surprise, didn't take me by surprise. What took me by surprise was, you know, they played the Chiefs and got, you know, absolutely smoked to start the game. And the score looks closer than what the game actually was, for all intents and purposes, a blowout. And and all of a sudden, you know, there's that panic sitting in 0 and 1 and 0 1 and 1. I hate that one at the end. They got to do something about these ties in the NFL. You know, it, it works for soccer, doesn't work for any other sport, really. Um, but I mean, they got back on track with Tampa. They looked bad against the Ravens. And all of a sudden, they go out and win six games. They start with the Falcons. You think the Falcons could be a contender? They. Uh, they didn't look like it in that game. Steelers have always owned the Bengals for many years. They get to play the Browns. Um, that was Hugh Jackson's farewell game, <laughs> and it was on my birthday too. So the very next day, they fire Hugh Jackson, and then they same kind of thing kind of happened with Baltimore right after that too. I mean, you were go- the Steelers were starting to get back on track. They were four two and one at that point. They were playing a four and four Baltimore Ravens team that then moved on from Joe Flacco after they lost to the Steelers and went with Lamar Jackson. And somehow they won the division. And it seems weird because you know the Steelers played a Thursday night and blew out the Panthers in prime time, and then they struggled to beat the Jaguars on the road. I've for whatever reason, in Florida, and then they're, they're they're bad in Florida. I don't get Florida. I also don't get Denver. They're, they've always, you know, 
had been cursed in Denver, and then they had to play in Oakland too. So when you look over a four-game span, they barely come out with a win against the Jaguars. They lose three in a row. A game in the middle there between the Denver and Oakland trips was a, a home game that got moved to a Sunday night football game. It was supposed to be a one o'clock. That would have definitely benefited the Steelers having the Chargers travel. You know your other LA companion there Tra- travel over. Whenever you got a West Coast team and they travel east, it's a benefit to the East Coast team, right? Mm-hmm. And they moved the game from one to you know eight thirty or whatever the time is that they kick these Sunday night games off, and that helped the Chargers aside from blown false start flags and things of that nature. It was just a horribly called game. Uh, anybody could call me a homer or bias or whatever, but it was really that was really bad. It, it was just it just didn't seem like the game was being called evenly there. The Steelers lose by three, a last second field goal, and so they have a three game losing streak. They're on the outside now, looking in. They're up against you know the David Goliath thing. The Patriots have always pretty much had the Steelers number since Tom Brady's been the quarterback, and they pull out a victory and it wasn't, it was the weird thing about the Patriots was they lost to five playoff teams or non-playoff teams. I should say last year's Steelers being one of them. So the Steelers have a do or die situation in new Orleans, the infamous Joe Hayden pass interference thing. Right. And that kind of constant call by the way. Oh, and you know, and I don't know if the rule gets changed on count of just that one play or that it was magnified by the saints own, uh, not getting the benefit of a call and getting totally, you know, kind of jobbed in the playoffs. And I think that may have magnified it even more. So the Steelers definitely, they had to, now they had to rely on a Ravens team that wasn't losing. They had to rely on them to lose to Cleveland at home in the final week of the season. And that final week of the season, things started to unravel between the, the New Orleans trip and that loss. Now they're not looking like a playoff team. Now you have Antonio Brown doesn't show up all of a sudden, like has problems with practice. They named Juju Smith-Schuster like MVP for the team or whatever for the year. Uh, even though Roethlisberger, you know, he's definitely the MVP every year, but I guess they can't give it to him all the time. And... Now, all of a sudden, it's like they were struggling to beat this Bengals team that had like half their roster on injured reserve. And I I don't know. I guess, you know, there's when teams are winning, it's the good times. And when they're losing, it's the bad times. And there were some things going on, even though Roethlisberger led the team or led the league in interceptions. His 16 interceptions are like the lowest as an interceptions leader. And I don't even know when it may even just be a record period as far as modern NFL. And it just I don't know exactly where it fell apart, because when I look at what they had last year versus what they're coming in with this year, they are making some they made some tweaks to their coaching staff as far as position coaches and things of that nature obviously Antonio Brown got traded Le'Veon Bell sat out the whole year but I don't think he was necessarily missed in 2018 um I I can't I can't necessarily pinpoint I I just think when you get on a roll and you're losing some of these games there's a lot of frustration they lost like four out of five games when you count that Saints game there has to be a lot of frustration in the ways that you know the Broncos was a a ton of turnovers I I think Ben uh, at least threw three or four picks in that game including one at the end where famously went on his radio show and um, he nearly like called out or or said some things you know and uh, I think that kind of started the spark there that he said that out loud for public consumption and everybody, you know, they're like rabid dogs, you know, they'll jump and pounce on that and, and chew it apart and make a, a big deal out of it. They come back and play the chargers and lose the way that that is. That's gotta be frustrating for a team too. When you think the game isn't fair, you go out to Oakland and Oakland, what? I think they had won like, Oh, the Raiders won like two games up to that point. Um, yeah, they were, they were like 
uh, whatever they were, uh, two and 10 at that point or whatever. And they're like, okay, you're going to get back on track here. And Ben gets hurt at halftime. And then there's all this talk about the x-ray machine thing, the outdated equipment. And they got to put back up Josh Dobbs, who's never taken an NFL snap before in there. And Tomlin kind of rides with that because I think there's a lot of criticism here. But when you got a multi-million dollar franchise quarterback and you don't know what's wrong with him, I don't think you want to risk when you're winning the game, putting him back out there and risking further injury. And then really, you know, saying goodbye to the season when you got the Patriots and Saints looming on the schedule and you're trying to win the division, right? So that game and losing that game the way they did, or the field goal kicker who was a Pro Bowl kicker the year before misses a couple of field goals in that game. There was a, a fumble at the end, even though they still kind of had like a, a miracle-type play that almost worked out with uh, you know Roethlisberger coming in and things of that nature. They couldn't hold the lead. The defense kind of squandered because the offense couldn't stay on the field with the Josh Dobbs, the backup in, and, and being inexperienced. And he turned the ball over too. So it was just... Just a giant mess, and I really look at it like right there because they were focused on the Patriots. They took care of the Patriots. I think they could have beaten the Saints. Uh, you know, a call, a couple calls in that game go one way or the other, and of course, you know how football works. Sometimes it's just luck, and I, I won't say anything against the Saints because they played a really good game too. There was no faults in their game. It was just more or less whoever had the ball and was able to put up the points and the opportunities that they had, and uh, that's pretty much it. But I look at that Raiders game, man, as really uh, Ben's comments probably. Probably around the Denver game, there was probably some frustration with that. But the Raiders game, I think, is where it really unraveled. That was like the second week into December. There were five December games last year. They still had the big games that were on the schedule. They they were kind of rallying, but they just fell short. How much? Because I'm, I'm hearing a little. I think I got an idea of what you're where you're going with the whole controversy here. But how much do the Antonio Brown and Le'Veon Bell situations affect the Sewers locker room? And did it have an adverse effect on the season? I don't know necessarily if Bell did or not. Bell was playing his games, I think... Uh, whenever you have like that outside noise or whatever, it can be a distraction. I'm not sure what kind of contact he had with any players because no one was really fessing up to that. And it appears for all intents and purposes that they were more than the, the offensive line and the offense, especially you saw how they responded to James Conner, second year running back, who was initially drafted to, you know, the previous year, I think with all of this franchise tag hoopla in mind, I think everyone kind of believed Bell would come back. He wouldn't let that money kind of sit. And as each week kind of passed, you know, it's like everyone, they're probably bothering the players, asking them this, and they're not going to say anything, you know what I mean? And it's like, things aren't focused on what they should have been focused on. Now, I think there's still a lot of underlying stuff with Antonio Brown that that we don't know about and what we what little we do know about seems a little shaky but uh, I I don't know man you look and see what the guy's done on his social media and you you see whenever he sends out a tweet and you can't comprehend what he's you know tweeting out or even what he's saying in some interviews and I, I don't know man it's almost like I, I hate to joke about CTE and head hits or anything like that, but something is just doesn't. Something feels off for him to. He's still one of the hardest working players in football. And when I was at training camp, I was there several times uh, for the Steelers camp last year. Around this same time, actually, uh, July and August, and Antonio Brown, you know, he he was there after 
everything was already folded up, but he's working on a jugs machine, probably 20, 30 minutes, putting in the extra work. Peter King, formerly uh, from Sports Illustrated, now uh, I think he's with Monday Morning Quarterback still, but he was out there waiting for an interview. Antonio interviews with them. You don't see anything that's visibly wrong. You don't see him shouting at people or anything like that. And then he comes over, and I don't know. He must have signed a hundred autographs, and he teases fans. He gets them moved down another way, uh, down, down the the one aisle way that they have there that goes around St. Vincent's College where they have camp. And part of that story is is that uh, my one cousin brought. I think he was like five or six at the time. His little nephew with him, and Antonio Brown actually pulled him off of my cousin's shoulders, signed his jersey that was on his back, took a took a picture with them like he's sitting on a golf cart and all the meanwhile you know his wife or you know significant other baby mama whatever you want to say baby mama sounds bad but i, I think you get it girlfriend wife significant other uh, whatever relation she is to him and all in several of his small kids they're all waiting for him and he and he is just doing everything for the fans and you go from that period in time in august to december and all of a sudden like what the, what the heck happened and the the weirdest thing about this is derek antonio brown like he, it wasn't like he was – a lot of people are trying to make a story there with Juju Smith-Schuster emerging that I don't, I don't buy because Martavis Bryant was there. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. And Martavis Bryant, you know, he came out of nowhere and was this huge, you know, threat and, and this huge, you know, player for them, scoring touchdowns, catching passes, yards, big plays, uh, flipping the gymnastics touchdown type stuff too that, you know, if Antonio Brown was going to be jealous of anybody, he'd probably have been jealous of him years ago. So I don't necessarily buy all that, but you go back to that New Orleans game right before, you know, Antonio Brown cuts out on the team uh, unexpectedly maybe, and you look and he caught 14 balls for 180 five yards and two touchdowns that doesn't sound like a guy that's not focused in and in playing for the team i also don't think that's a me thing i don't think ben is necessarily throwing 50 balls in that game and thinking well i have to target antonio brown 19 times i think that just comes with the territory of he was one of the best wide receivers in the nfl he's what the top wide receiver on your team and you're gonna your best players have to rise to the occasion to win games Whatever fell apart between that next to last week of the season and when they went to the last week of the season, I mean, only a few people really know. And I guess there's some things that the organization was kind of keeping under the rug, and we've seen it with some other players. We saw James Harrison left. I just think there's some things there where some people, they wanted to put an I in the word team, and I think it rubbed some of the other players the wrong way, and it just, I think the locker room was there. It was just, I think things just fell apart. I mean, it just happens. When you get teams that are hot, you've seen it before. The Steelers uh, were a six seed when they entered the playoffs. Jerome Bettis' last ride they go all the way to the Super Bowl and win it, right? We've seen it happen with the Giants kind of the same way. We've seen some other type of Cinderella teams. We've seen a Ravens team the one year that probably didn't have any business going all the way, going the distance as well. And you see those kind of things happen. It's not, it's not like... You know, where the Rams, uh, your team was, you know, kind of pegged to be a contender right from the get-go at the start Mm -hmm. of the season. I'm talking about a team that just kind of goes, catches fire. The Chargers were kind of in that territory last year, and they have momentum. The Colts were very much the same way. They got momentum on their side. This is momentum in the opposite direction, (laughs) and it works just the same way, and I think they just fell apart. So moving forward now, 2019, what were the most important moves the Steelers made in free agency, and what were their best and worst signings? 
Oh, I don't know that necessarily I could say a worse signing because I don't, much like the draft, I don't like to label anyone a bust or a bad signing until we get to see something of them. And usually that may take a year or two before you can make a good determination. Unfortunately, you're talking about, you know, 32 games or less in order to figure out if somebody's uh, got the it factor. Uh, as far as uh, free, we're talking just free agent signings here. Uh, right. Uh, Steven Nelson was a, a pretty big one because the Steelers, the, their secondary and especially the cornerback position has been like a thorn in their side for like a decade. And they've been trying to find just the right guy and the right pair. And they've been using, you know, waiver wire pickups and uh, trades and getting guys out other teams cut or whatever be the case these were players they, they drafted players too that they just weren't necessarily working out or had an injury bug you had a guy they took in the second round several years ago named Senquez Golson never even played a snap in the preseason the guy couldn't even stay healthy in camp let alone make it to the actual 53 man roster and play in a regular season game and it, you know they made trades and concessions there when those type of things happen and it just none of it none of it ever panned out I mean they they lost a cornerback that was pretty good you know at the beginning of the decade named Keenan Lewis. He went to free agency to the Saints and so they don't lose another guy. They give Cortez Allen a four-year deal. It was like $32 million, and he ended up being completely like not good. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. And, and he had he had all the skill set and potential there and then it fell apart. And that's kind of, I, I make that comparison and bring that name up because that's where we see a first-round pick in Artie Burns several years ago. Now all of a sudden last year, you know, Probably not the best last name for playing cornerback because a lot of people are using a play on word with the word Burns. So he lost his job. He got benched for a guy named Cody Sensabaugh, who you may be familiar with, actually. Oh, yeah. yeah. <laughs> so, and I mean, Sensabaugh did an okay job, but that's not the kind of guy that you want there. Now, of course, they were able to uh, acquire Joe Hayden uh, about two years ago when the Browns ditched him at the end of their training camp. And uh, a healthy Joe Hayden, which, you know, knock on wood because uh, you know he always gets dinged here or there but a healthy Joe Hayden is a cor- is a top cornerback in the, in the NFL I would say at least he's at least a cornerback one and that's what the team needed but they need somebody on the opposite side and that's where Steven Nelson comes in they gave him a pretty healthy contract I think it was like 3 years 25 mil somewhere in that in that range and he's being paid to be like a starter he was the probably the only saving grace in the Chiefs uh, you know uh, basically almost their secondary last year because, you know, they, they dumped Peters. You guys ended up getting Peters. And, uh, you know, Eric Berry with all of his, you know, trials and stuff going on there and trying to return and play in the NFL too. So they didn't, you know, the cupboard was bare. And Steven Nelson was somebody that was constantly being targeted. And another another point in that is is because of how high-powered the Chiefs offense was uh, last season. A lot of teams were playing from behind and having to throw the ball a lot. So he's one of the higher graded guys. He kind of fell or, or kind of, I don't know, uh, flew under the radar, I guess, with free agency, but not according to the Steelers. And it's kind of a quiet signing that, you know, if they didn't already have Hayden, he'd be probably relied on as a cornerback one. That may be a lofty expectation, but at least as the other guy, it, it might finally lock down what the Steelers are going to do now. As far as their other, probably their top two other signings, you have Dante Moncrief is a wide receiver who used to play for the Colts. He had a year last year with the Jaguars. And <laughs> the Jaguars, as you know, were not really yeah. a passing football team. We're talking about Blake Bortles. You're talking about Cody Kessler. And Dante still... Uh, 
had himself a pretty decent year. I mean, he, he had a lot of expectations, but when Andrew Luck got hurt, you know, between those four years that he was with the Colts and his own injuries, things kind of were up and down and rocky. Uh, so that potential may have been somewhat short-lived. He's still a, a fast player. He's still a big, uh, a bigger target at 6'2", uh, 216. But playing in Jacksonville last year, I mean, this just gives you an idea of maybe how bad the quarterbacks were in uh, Jacksonville because, you know, he's still somewhere around like a you know 53 55 percent catch type guy that's where he's been the last three years because he didn't have andrew luck when he had andrew luck 65 and 61 you you take his year last year in jacksonville he was they threw the ball at him 89 times he was he only had like 48 of them and i could picture a lot of balls sailing over his head or or hitting the dirt in front of his feet but he still had 668 yards he had a handful of touchdowns uh 13.9 yards per reception uh, he's going to be relied on as a veteran player entering his 6th year as somebody who can help uh, share some of those you know targets and some of those you know the balls that were passed to Antonio Brown that's going to be spread around a little bit more now because i don't know how much more i mean we know who Juju Smith-Schuster is already. He's going to be a wide receiver one. He's going to have a little bit of an uptick, but somebody else, you know, if they're going to continue to throw the ball at the high volume they did last year, they're going to rely on Moncrief. The other guy that came in, Mark uh, Barron, who I'd be curious to hear what you have to say about Mark Barron because I'm not necessarily going to say, like, we know what the Steelers did in a draft, and I'm sure it's one of your questions. Barron could start, but I see Barron as kind of like a hybrid linebacker safety, which is something the Steelers need because Morgan Burnett forced their hand to release him. He was hurt for portions of last year, really lost the starting job. He was going to be the starter, uh, one of the starting safeties, but their first-round pick ended up sliding in and never relinquished the spot. So Burnett out of town, you, you need somebody that could kind of fill this other role, and I think that's where Barron's going to end up playing since he has experience at both linebacker and safety in the NFL. And I know he was one of your guys as a linebacker. I guess it's somebody that's better depth than what they've had the last couple of seasons ever since losing Ryan Shazier. So I think he's uh, the third of three important signings for the Steelers. Well, Mark Barron, you got to understand, he's undersized for what the Rams wanted him to do. He plays hard. He gets his heart on the field. He will make a critical tackle, but he won't make enough of them because he's just not big enough to get people off the ball. He did a really great job in 2017, starting you know, stopping the run. He slipped last year, and which kind of blows my mind a little bit because last year's defensive line up front was probably a little bit better. And overall, he just can't be consistent on a long-term basis. So what he was very good at was being that hybrid, the safety linebacker when you need him, guy who can rush up and make plays. One of the few things Jeff Fisher did right with his defenses with Greg Williams there was employ him as that hybrid. And once they tried to make him a linebacker full-time, it just didn't work. Again, it's not that he couldn't make tackles. Again, actually, he was rated as a very, I forget the actual rating in pro football focus that for him, but he had a very high rating in 2017 against the run. He just doesn't have the size to shuck blocks enough to be consistent over a long period of time. So if the series idea is using as a hybrid, then they got their man. 
Yeah, and I, I think that's pretty much one of the missing pieces because they play a lot of uh, sub-package football. I know they're they're rooted as a 3-4 team, and, and that's the way most people think of them, but often they'll take one of maybe like a nose tackle out of the game or even a, another linebacker, and it, they've been trying to do this with cornerbacks and other players over the last few seasons because one of their uh, Achilles heels has been tight ends, and we all know like, you know, Travis Kelsey and Gronk and guys like that were just eating the st- even even guys that aren't as flashy names as that were still eating them up. The one year it was just like if you have a tight end that's worth anything and a quarterback that you get him the ball unstoppable it's almost like playing with uh, Bo Jackson on Tech Mobile and so the Steelers have been trying to you know plug that hole as well as try and uh, plug plug the loss of Ryan Shazier can obviously can't be understated because his backup after that injury happened back in 2017 also got hurt and they had to sign a guy off the street to basically play and that's just that's where things fell apart there and they never really got that replacement last season uh, they didn't draft anyone uh, the guys I think they were looking at or the trades or moves they were trying to make they didn't uh, they didn't happen, and the players that they wanted went before they were, you know, they were up for their picks. So uh, they ended up signing uh, one guy that you know was from the Colts, and he's no longer on the roster now. They've already released him after the moves with uh, you know Barron and, and drafting Devin Bush. So. Uh, he, he didn't fit, and he ended up losing his job to an undrafted guy that had probably been uh, cut and released and re-signed between the practice squad and active roster at least a dozen times over two or three years. And you know that's it's never a good sign to be completely honest. Not to say that you know L.J. Ford is the guy who was uh, getting uh, con- constantly thrown back and, and then pulled back out of of contract and off the roster, but uh, you know there, there's only so much you can do with that, and that kind of weakens you know the Steelers if they have two guys in the middle. Vince Williams is their other guy that's a veteran, but he's more of like the run stuffer. He, he was a little underrated with eight sacks last year, uh, you know, as a pass rusher, but he's not that, you know, sideline the sideline speed and coverage type player. And he replaced a guy in Lawrence Timmons that was much the same way. They not viewed as a three down back. So that has been the, you know, their biggest, probably their biggest problem over the years and why, you know, Baron being in there was a little bit of an insurance policy early in case they didn't get their guy that they wanted in the draft. And now that they have him, it probably looks a little bit better because now they could slide, you know, kind of let Baron roam around. And he'll still get a decent amount of snaps, I think, in Pittsburgh because they deploy that so-called kind of money or dime backer in about maybe a quarter of their sub-package football. If I with the Steelers draft, especially the, the decision to trade up and get Devin Bush, and how does he fit into your defense? And also, what about the rest of your draft class? Well, um, (laughs) how does Devin Bush fit in? Devin Bush was the guy. It was the joke that kind of came around as, uh, you know, they were saying, if you've seen the movie Draft Day and you saw the post-it note and it says, or uh, this person or who, or, or else, you know, uh, all in on Devin Bush was the way it was. And it, and one of the other reasons for that too, was in order for them to move up and make that trade with Denver, um, 
a few things happened. Obviously, the Antonio Brown trade. Uh, the Steelers ended up with nine draft picks uh, entering the draft weekend, and so they had. They don't. They're a team that likes to build through the draft, but they had a little more, you know, collateral than they usually do to be able to make that kind of move. They were also, since they didn't make the postseason, they're drafting a little higher up than typical as well, because as a you know perennial playoff team, they're always stuck somewhere, you know, in the bottom twelve picks of every round. And so that helped them move up. And it also the reason part of the reason the Devin Bush thing was brilliant, considered one of the two top inside linebackers in the draft looks like the better fit for the Steelers system, at least compared to, you know, his counterpart, the other good linebacker went to the Buccaneers, Devin White, but Devin Bush is, I don't want to call him a Ryan Shazier replacement because I think he's going to be his own player. He's going to he's going to create his own name and, and his own lore. But that's that was one of the missing elements in this defense, and it's somebody that can potentially play all three downs. The other half of that is is jumping ahead of the Cincinnati Bengals. The Cincinnati Bengals had a major need at inside linebacker. They lost uh, Vontez Perfect and they lost Vincent Ray, who was Vontez Perfect's you know counterpart there. So they lost both of you know both of their guys, and uh, that damaged. The, I think that hurt them too because you know in the past the Bengals or the Ravens have jumped ahead of the Steelers to get a guy that they thought the Steelers were going to take, and that happened with a tight end with Max Williams. It happened with uh, William Jackson the third, a cornerback, and that's kind of how Artie Burns ended up in town. So I think the Steelers were, you know, they're on the clock with the next pick. The Bengals end up taking the guy that everybody thought would end up in Pittsburgh with William Jackson. So this time around, the Steelers pull this, you know, kind of rabbit out of their hat and they end up with this pick. And I think that's, uh, that's a huge, huge move for them because, I mean, they lost out on their second round pick as part of what they gave up. But at the same time, I, I think they had to get this player. They had to get somebody that's viewed, at least coming out of college, as a playmaker and a game changer. And they definitely needed help at inside linebacker, especially since they had already kind of addressed the corner position with Steven Nelson. You had to go after White or Bush. And after that, I think there was a, a deep kind of fall off, at least for players who fit the Steelers scheme. As far as the rest of the draft class, it's kind of interesting because I feel they had a an excellent draft class. And as far as, you know, they didn't they ended up getting rid of the second round pick. Uh, I thought they were still going to kind of pull for Chase Winovich, but I think they were whining and dining and maybe asking him questions about his teammate uh, up in Michigan, Devin Bush, because they had a couple of opportunities to maybe get him later and they didn't. And they they kind of surprised everyone with some of the picks. I think they got a real value pick once again this season and a cornerback uh, named uh, Justin Lane out of Michigan State. He's a pretty rangy guy. Uh, but right before that pick, too, they took a wide receiver out of Toledo. And it was probably like the eighth receiver taken in this draft. And it was a very deep class for wide receivers. Deontay Johnson, who on film and playing in the Mac, looks almost like an Antonio Brown clone, a, a very polished route runner, a very shifty break tackle type of uh, receiver who's going to be in a very deep wide receiver core and it'll be interesting to see how many snaps or playing time that he gets uh, a few of the other picks to highlight too out of Kentucky there's a running back he's a bruiser Benny Snell pretty much set all the records that there were in Kentucky and playing in the SEC looks like the real deal fourth round pick I think also a pretty good uh, value there I mean running backs I feel have been devalued so I think a lot of these mid-round running back picks uh, all have opportunities to be Contributors in the NFL at some point. 
Um, and they picked up a raw tight end from Michigan named Zach Gentry in the fifth round. He was to replace Jesse James. They almost look like very similar in size and stature. I hear Gentry is a little more physical than James was, though. Uh, but, you know, neither were quite the athletic tight ends. Yards after the catch and things of that nature weren't necessarily speed wasn't in Jesse's playbook, but he had sure hands. And it's somebody that the Steelers are going to miss. Gentry may fit in a role, may compete for, for a backup spot there. Uh, Sutton Smith, I don't think anybody had more over a two-year period in the FBS other than this Northern Illinois uh, defensive end. I think they're going to try and move him over as the Steelers usually do for a 3-4 defense as an outside linebacker. They got a defensive tackle, Isaiah Bugs from Alabama. Uh, that looks... You know, he kind of looks the part. Uh, I think he's got potential, but uh, again, this is somebody that they're going to have to develop. Uh, same goes for Ulysses Gilbert, third, a linebacker, another inside linebacker out of Akron, and Derwin Gray, a tackle out of Maryland. So it looks like a pretty deep class. And I, you know, it was tough for me to say going in, they ended up with eight picks. And I'm like, how there aren't that many holes on the roster. How are all these guys going to make the team? I think they all have a legitimate shot, to be honest. So break it down for us. We're running out of time here. We're going to get you going. Where do the Steelers finish in the AFC North, and how many wins do you see them getting this year? Well, isn't that the fun question? It's tough looking at the schedule. They get uh, I always criticize the Patriots for playing the AFC least, but the Steelers get that schedule, as does the rest of the AFC North this year. So that means some games against the Dolphins and Bills and Jets, who are all retooling their rosters. Uh, they also get to play you guys, too. Uh, so it's the NFC West. Uh, don't know where the 49ers are going to be with all those changes, and they've been you know trying to right the ship there. Obviously, the Rams just played in the Super Bowl. Cardinals and another team in transition and who am I missing that just fell off of my uh, radar here the Seahawks the Seahawks oh you know the Seahawks they get the Seahawks at home uh, for a home opener and I believe that's like a one o'clock game uh, to start the season and it's just whenever the Seahawks are another team that's very kind of lackluster out the gate so when i saw when i saw that i was kind of like well you know okay i could i can handle this <laughs> so I, i'll take them early on in week two uh they do open the season on the road against the patriots but at least it gives them ample time to prepare uh you know they'll have a couple uh, an extra week or two of preparation at least for the patriots uh to, to start off that season i just hate that the super bowl blah 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 you know vomit in your mouth is all going to be on display and in prime time and you know, I got to watch my team go, go through all that. But it would be some added fuel, and they beat the Patriots last year. So when I look up and down the schedule, you know, there were some teams that were playoff teams last year. I don't think the Ravens are one of those again, and they get them twice. Um, the Steelers do have to play, you know, the Colts, the Rams, the Chargers. It's going to be a tough schedule, but I do believe they're going to be a better team. We talked about Bell just real shortly. Bell, you know, since he never showed up, they know what life after Bell is like. Really, the only guy that they have to make up for is Antonio Brown. And with Dante Moncrief, a second-year, second-round pick, James Washington. They have some other slot receivers and Ryan Switzer and Eli Rogers and the aforementioned uh, Deontay Johnson, the, the rookie out of Toledo. There's five wide receivers there in addition to Juju Smith-Schuster and a t- starting tight end, Vance McDonald, where I think the ball goes around a lot. I think it'll still be an explosive offense with you know a franchise quarterback, future Hall of Famer, and Ben Roethlisberger and one of the top of offensive lines in the league. I think the defense gets a bump with Devin Bush, with Steven Nelson. They play plug those holes as long as the safeties don't regress 
It should be a, a strong front seven and a decent pass defense. I could see them winning the AFC North. I'm not going to say it's going to be easy, but I do believe, and if anybody wants to hear my hot takes on it, I'll plug my own show with the Steel City Underground podcast. Uh, we got a lot of uh, hate mail from Cleveland Browns trolls because I just don't feel that the Browns are that legitimate of a threat as a double-digit win team. I could see the Steelers somewhere in the ballpark of 10 to 11 wins. It depends on how competitive the AFC North could be one of the more competitive divisions in football this year. There's just a lot of question marks with all of the teams involved. But if it is a competitive uh, division, 10 wins could take it. it. It very well could. And I mean, when you look at you know where the Baltimore Ravens were last year, I said, hey, they were a 4-4 four and four team at one point, and they end up you know turning their season around, and they win the division by going 10-6. and six. So basically the same kind of principle here, as long as the Steelers hold on. But I, I, you know, I see the Ravens as a team in transition. The Bengals and Browns, both with new first-year head coaches. Browns made a lot of fancy signings, but we'll see if that all gels. I mean, it worked out very well for the Rams last year and for their young quarterback in Jared Goff. I don't know. Will it work for the Browns the same way? I think they're getting a little bit of the rub with that, but... You know what? I don't know if Freddie Kitchens is Sean McVay. You know what I mean? And certainly he doesn't have the coordinator or any any other type of uh, head coach experience to back that up. So I still got to stay with the Steelers just because of the consistency. They had previously won the division like four or five years in a row. Always mostly a playoff team. And, you know, a lot of people still look at different legacy things there. But as long as Ben Roethlisberger is under center, uh, that's the X factor for me. Just real quick, uh, the Browns, uh, as a guy who's in between both cities, sees you know the, the roster changes. I will say this: I think for the Browns, it really depends on their first four games. How quick do they gel? Talent wise, I think the roster is pretty loaded. I think they have a lot of guys who can make some serious plays for them. So, how soon do they gel? If they if they don't gel, well, let's just say if they're in October and just figuring it out, they're not going to really be a threat to the Steelers. If they figure it out early, if they can go you know, two and two in their first four games. I think the Browns are going to be a serious threat down the line. How soon do you gel? That's the big question for the Browns. And looking forward, I got to be honest, as a football fan, I like the idea of that old Brown Steelers rivalry coming back. Oh, it's it's been forever, man. It's been since Belichick was the coach for the Browns in like, you know, yeah. the the 90s since anything's really material. It's almost been since Bernie Kosar has been quarterback to be honest. And I'll give Testaverde a little bit of a nod there too, but uh just just a little bit of the Browns going with that. They open up with the Titans, they go to the Jets, which is, you know, the two young quarterbacks facing each other. Then they go over uh they host the Rams for a primetime game and then they got to go to Baltimore and San Francisco go and then host the Seahawks before they get to a bye. You're in the middle of October there with, you know, that's that's a pretty strong schedule and then they have to go to New England right after that, after the bye. So uh, when you go through the first two months of the season, I mean, if they don't get it by then, they could rally later. They have a little bit of the weaker teams on the schedule. I mentioned the AFC East with the Bills and the Dolphins and, you know, we don't know what the Cardinals are yet either, but you got to assume that they're a team in transition. We shall see, but I still think the games they have to play against, you know, the Steelers, uh, the Bengals, and the Ravens, those are all going to be competitive games between all four of those teams this year. All right, so Joe, can you let people know where they can find you? Well, absolutely. The easiest way to find us is just go over to the website over at steelcityunderground.com. Uh, we do have a kind of a, a full 
type of website where we cover the Steelers. Um, we we are fans. We make no bones about that, but we at least try and have some integrity and professionalism in doing so. So you'll find some uh, interesting articles there, sometimes some video. We're on Facebook. We're on Twitter. We're on Instagram. We're on uh, YouTube with our, our podcast is available on like eight different services. So iTunes and YouTube are the best two places to find them, but you can find them on any of your other favorite services as well. So real quick here before we go, I just want to go ahead and say, you know, the Rams are playing Pittsburgh. If you're coming up for the game, maybe we should do a joint a joint show. Yeah, that might be possible. Uh, I'll have to take a look and see what the schedule's like. Um, I'm, I'm hoping to make it out there for that one uh, in particular because I think it's. I think that's, that's going to be. be yeah, it's a showcase game. You could already you could already see the writing on the wall. That's that uh, part of the doubleheader that plays at you know for for something in the afternoon uh, on Sundays. So that's going to be a marquee game. I can't I can't wait for it. Quite frankly, you know, I I be get to know both games. The Steelers and Browns is here, so I'm on it. I'm on it like white on rice. All right, dude. (laughs) Thanks so much for coming on, and we'll talk to you soon. Hey, not a problem. Thanks for having me once again. Thank you. So, Tommy, any chance you're coming east for a game like the Pittsburgh game? Unfortunately, not this season because I'm financially double dipping. I'm paying for Coliseum seats, and I'm paying for Inglewood. Okay, so I'm dialing it back for the first time in a long time. And the only road game I'm going to this year is local in Arizona in December. But I am really bummed out because I've always wanted to go to Pittsburgh and Cleveland. And the Rams are both playing over there. So that's unfortunate. Things might change, you know, as we get down the road on the schedule a little bit. But as of right now, that's a negative. Yeah, definitely going to the Browns game. I already got my tickets. Cost oh, me, you dude. I, uh, oh, that's so cool. I got the uh, I, I got the giveaway my firstborn child tickets, and it happens to be her <laughs> birthday today. So wherever she is, I hope she's enjoying life. No kidding, it, she's here. We had a great birthday party for her this afternoon. Um, but the, yeah, it was expensive, and if like if I waited longer, it would have got worse. Um, Pittsburgh, I'm planning to if. Um, if I get like Steve or somebody I come over, Steve's in, in New York City, so hopefully Steve will go to the game with me. Don't want to go alone. Come on now. So that's the plan. We'll see how it works out. When is the Steeler game? Again? It's in November. Okay. Mm-hmm. I might be able to pull it off. How far is Heinz Field from you? Are you driving or are you flying? Oh, I'll drive. I'm how far? I'm about an hour out from Pittsburgh. Okay. If yeah. I can pull it off. I fly to you. And my I home is open, you. brother. My okay. home is open. You got it. I'll and tickets are you, and yep. we'll drive together. Fair tickets enough. Tickets aren't bad from Pittsburgh. I mean, I, I always fly out of Pittsburgh to go to LA. I know there's a nonstop flight goes out. Yeah, I've always wanted to go to the Steel City, man. I dig. I don't know. I'm weird, man. I like. I dig the whole American old school fabric cities like Pittsburgh and Cleveland, where mm-hmm. they're all about their sports franchises. Like, there's no. It's not like L.A. where everywhere you go, you see all 32 jerseys. It's always been that way. It always will be. Um, but places like Pittsburgh and, and Cleveland, those are, the, those are the real fans, right? The ones that have been there forever, that go to every game, whether the team stinks or not. It's just it's impressive, and I've always wanted to see that and check that out. Well, a large portion of my family are Browns fans. 
and been 20 years of crap for them. So I generally have a huge, huge soft spot for the Browns, and I'll follow them some just because of my family. And I'm hoping the Browns do well for this year for them, for them really. I mean, they've been through enough. My brother's a Steelers fan, and let's see, you know, he's the kind of Steelers fan who, like we, you know, most of us are, are Rams fans because of our of family, right? He's a Steelers fan because his dad's a Steelers fan. And you're going to find a lot of that. There's a lot of that here. And I'm sure down the line out in Los Angeles, you're going to find a lot more of that over the years of parents and kids all being Rams fans because of what they're raising. Most of. That's what my brother is. Yeah, it'll t- it'll take time. You know, my son's nine months old, and he doesn't have a choice. He has Rams gear. His whole room <laughs> is plastered in Rams stuff. So he sees the logos, all three of them, on a daily basis. He sees my yellow Rampage Camaro pull in the driveway every evening with my wife driving and jumps in it and steers it up the driveway. He gets in his walker and goes over to the Camaro and touches the Rams logo on the side. I mean, he's getting brainwashed on a daily basis. He doesn't get oh, to yeah. pick his own team. Oh, yeah. That's not I, how this works. My daughter is, too. Sierra has her Todd Gurley jersey. She's got multiple different Rams shirts. I mean, I've had her little voice in the podcast. I might just do that today. It's her birthday. I might as well just go ahead and put a little voice end on here for her for Rams. How much, you know, her little Rams voice. So, um, it's I don't. I'm not afraid to say it. I am indoctrinating my kids into Rams football. I'm not afraid to say it. There's nothing wrong with that. If you're a sports fan, you shouldn't let your kids pick their own teams. You're giving <laughs> them a little too much leeway until you start paying the rent. You only have this much room to make decisions. Okay, just a little tiny little bit. The rest of it is my way or the highway. When you when you get your own house and you're an adult, you can do things your way. But it's just how I was raised. My I grew up in my great grandmother's house, and she was all about geographical sports fandom. Right, so we're from Los Angeles. We root for the Dodgers, the Kings, the Lakers, and the Rams, and that's it. If you don't like it, get out of my house. So you know, over the years, the Rams going to St. Louis and coming back, and then getting on Twitter and seeing all these people, including you, that are never lived in the cities that the team played in, but are a fans of the team, same team that I grew up in. And at first, I was like, "How do we have all these fans from all these cities? Like, why aren't these people Browns fans, or or why is this guy a Rams fan when he grew up in New Jersey? Why isn't he a Jets fan?" And so instead of you know being hard on them like I was at first, I started to change my tune. And start asking them, how did you become a Rams fan? And, and instead of you know forcing my views in the way I was raised on everybody else, just starting to be more understanding. And most of the stories were the same. My dad was a Rams fan, even though they grew up in New Jersey or in mm-hmm. Ohio or wherever. So they were grandfathered into it by their parents and their parents' stories. Well, how'd your? And then I would ask, how'd your dad become a Rams fan? Oh, he watch the Rams on TV when, you know, Deacon Jones and those guys played or or Eric Dickerson or whatever the case may be. So, yeah, man, I stopped being so hard on the geographical sports fandom and, and started just laying back a little bit. And because of it, you know, you just try to be a better person. Don't judge people is my point. Yeah, sure. I mean, we, we do it in every part of our in life now. I mean, all the – I mean, I'll, I'll admit, I actually texted you about this earlier – I contemplate talking about politics in the show a little bit today because I've been a little disgusted at how I'm seeing Rams fans who are normally very good with each other turning on each other over politics. And oh, it's been a rough week on Twitter. It's been a, yeah, I mean, and I'm not going to get it. I decided, you know what, let's not do that because even though I think it's a worthy conversation, 
the only message I need to send is I I don't care where you where you lean politically. I mean, that's your choice. There's one unifier to me in all of American culture. One unifier. And it has been and always be sports. And don't let the stupidity of the world or this uh, of politicians and, and bad policy or whatever destroy that brotherhood and sisterhood you have with fellow fans over things that that basically destroy the ties that bind. Yeah, I mean it's our job as human beings when we breed to breed out ignorance and racism and and all of that bad behavior in general for human beings. Am I right? But at a at a at a rate right now in 2019, the bad guys are beating the good guys and we're breeding out a lot of things right intelligence respect um you know it's just it's sad and until ignorant racist people stop having children this problem will never go away well ignorant racist ignorant just extremists i mean you're going to find those in every walk of life you're going to find them with mixed ideologies you're going to and what i mean by that is you're going to find some people out there who have ideologies of the right that are mixed with ideologies of the left, and they're still going to be just as crazy. It doesn't mm-hmm. matter. In the end, no. what, what I really honestly believe is that we've become so busy labeling each other yeah. that we're setting fire to everything that we know and love. And No, I agree. I put out the tweet this week about the guns. Dude, I don't even own a gun, but I'm for civilians being allowed to protect themselves and protect each other because the cops never get there on time. Police officers are coroners these days. They never get there to save anybody. They just get there to clean up the mess and fill out the paperwork. So I'm all for us being allowed to protect each other, you know, but I don't own a gun because I don't really, I mean, I'm going to buy one soon because I need one for protection. My brother's been hammering me about it for (laughs) years. He's like, you can't beat everyone up, Tommy. Someone's going to shoot you. You, that's, you can't defend yourself with your fist forever. Someone's going to shoot you. They're going to be like, well, I can't beat Tommy up, so I'm going to put a bullet in his head. And I've had a gun to my head twice in my life, by the way. I'm still here because those two people were too chicken to pull the trigger, and I'm thankful for that. But my point is is that I just, no matter how you lean left or right, and I don't lean either way. I, I'm a moral guy. I'm not into um, labels, right? I just want to do the right thing by everybody. And there's all... and you and I were raised differently, quote unquote, politically. I love having conversations with you because you give me something that I've never had. And I'm willing to absorb the information to be more educated and to be a better person and to try to do the right thing for my fellow man in this country. And to, to wrap it back around the sports, the right thing for fellow man in this country is to seek out the ties that bind, the ties that bring you together. And that's what Rams mm-hmm. football is for many of us. Uh, if you're a Dodgers fan or an Angels fan for baseball, if you are a a Lakers or Clippers for basketball, whatever it is, the ties that bind you, don't let the bad things in this world take that for you. That's the, what that's that's how I want to end the show, guys. We have a we have one of our own staff members who's in the ER right now, okay. And you know I don't know how that's going. But then I look at my four year old daughter who is just starting her life, and you realize how precious it all is. It's all precious. So as we head into preseason week one, remember this. The ties that bind you. They call us Rams Nation. The ties that bind you is that love and care you have for each other and the passion you have for one cause, one team. 
and so bind them together. And with that said, it's time for us to go. You can find us on Twitter at Talk Rams. You can find us on Facebook at facebook.com forward slash Rams Talk. And you can also find our group, the Rams Talk Room. You can find me on Twitter at DC Paul. You can find Tommy at Ram Tommy in LA. You're going to need to find him, by the way, if you want to get that Rams and Central t shirt because these things got to sell, folks. Not going to lie. Also, you'll find our podcast. Don't forget the contest, by the way. Don't forget them. On Apple Music, Spreaker, all those places, okay? I mean, there's hardly anywhere on the internet where you cannot find our podcast. And we have three good ones. We have three very good ones. We provide some of the best Rams content out there. I promise you that. You have our word on that. And we will keep working hard to provide that content for you. So with all that said, with our little rant to end the show today, for Tommy and the entire Rams Talk staff, including Dom, this is Derek C. Paul saying, take it easy. We'll talk to you Sunday night. We're out of here. Go Rams. Let's make Vision Zero a reality in D.C. Almost half of D.C.'s traffic fatalities come from impaired driving. These deaths are 100% preventable. Don't let impaired driving ruin your holiday. Always have a plan for a sober ride. Never drive impaired. D.C. police are arresting drunk and drugged drivers. Drive sober or get pulled over. A message from the District Department of Transportation and Metropolitan Police Department. Everyone is talking about magnesium. It's all you hear about. But why? What do we know about magnesium? Well, magnesium is the number one mineral that 75% of Americans are deficient in. If you are a woman over 35, magnesium will help you rediscover balance, energy, and vitality. Magnesium supports more than 300 enzymatic reactions in your body, including those involved in hormonal balance. From functional medicine doctors to mental well-being and female hormone experts, we all know that magnesium is the one mineral to improve all aspects of well-being and health. But which one? Magnesium Breakthrough from Bioptimizers. The trusted choice recommended by leading experts with seven best-absorbed forms of magnesium to ensure your body receives the support it needs for overall well-being. Go to bioptimizers.com balance today and use code BALANCE10 for 10% off. Support your journey to wellness at B-I-O-P-T-I-M-I-Z-E-R-S dot com forward slash balance. Magnesium Breakthrough from Bioptimizers, your foundation to optimal health and vitality.